A former NDP candidate throws his support behind conservative leader Pierre Polyev and accuses Jugmeet Singh of being a, quote, lapdog for Justin Trudeau. Justin Trudeau's new heritage minister pledges to continue the government's fight against big tech. Canada reports the highest police reported crime rates since 2007. Hello Canada, it's Monday, July 31st, and this is the True North Daily Brief. I'm Cosmin Georgia. And I'm Ili Quentin-Nantel. We've got you covered with all the news you need to know. Let's discuss the top stories of the day and the True North exclusives you won't hear anywhere else. Conservative leader Pierre Polyev has been able to convince a former NDP candidate that he's the best candidate to become prime minister. According to the outlet Sue Today, former Salt St. Marie NDP candidate Skip Morrison is now throwing his hat in with Polyev after he accused Jugmeet Singh and the New Democrats of becoming lapdogs to Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Morrison told the outlet, quote, I suspected at that time that Justin Trudeau was going to be a disaster for this country, and I've watched the NDP become lapdogs to Trudeau with his so-called coalition support. I don't see the current NDP having any policies on anything. They're simply trying to stay viable and anyone who supports Justin Trudeau's government is doing a disservice to this country. Morrison also spoke out about the NDP's failure to stand up to government overreach during the Freedom Convoy. Recent polls show Poiliev gaining popularity with groups that traditionally vote Liberal or NDP, including young people and women voters. A recent survey by Abacus Data found that 32% of women would vote for Poiliev. Meanwhile, only 28% said the same of the Liberals, and 23% said they would vote for the NDP. So this is quite remarkable, Ellie. We don't often hear of such a drastic switching in sides. Here we have a former NDP candidate saying he would vote and support conservative leader Poiliev. Some critics have argued that Poiliev wouldn't be able to appeal to the average voter due to his support of the Freedom Convoy. Ellie, do you think this story proves some of those critics wrong? Well, Cosmin, I never believed this legacy media red Tory elite narrative because the fact is the convoy came to Ottawa when the majority of Canadians wanted all COVID restrictions to end. 46% of Canadians sympathized with the convoy and a good number of Canadians disagreed with the Emergencies Act. What I think this proves rather is that Polyev is attracting new voters to these poll numbers that you have cited, including young people. And Jagmeet Singh is not as popular. He has a 36% approval rating and they are no longer the party of the working class. You know, Jagmeet Singh has Rolex watches, a BMW, and his party supports wokeism. They now support Big Pharma and they don't champion civil liberties like they used to. And the consequence of that is their traditional base, which a lot of it has been kind of working class, workers, labor people. They're saying, well, we're not we're not on board with this anymore. They have become a woke modernist party. To stick on uh, Jagmeet Singh, I don't think he's the most popular NDP leader. Obviously, he's not the top choice for the next Prime Minister of Canada. He doesn't have a shot at that title. And he's drastically kind of changed the NDP from its more working class roots. Now, do you think his uh, decision specifically to form a coalition with Trudeau 
is going to cost him the next election and potentially re being reelected in his seat. So history has shown that people do not like coalitions. So here's the fact. Canadians asked for a minority government. They wanted a balance of power. And in fact, they signaled that they wanted a minority government with a balance of power from the right because most Canadians voted conservative, right? Instead, what we got is a left-wing liberal NDP coalition government with a supposed opposition leader that does not commit to triggering an election even if Trudeau breaks the coalition deal. But yeah, people do not like coalitions. Uh, the UK in 2010, the Liberal Democrats made a coalition with the Conservatives and voters punished them in the last election. They actually lost 49 out of their 57 seats. So history has shown when people ask for a minority and they get some majority government that they didn't ask for through a coalition, voters tend to punish. But we will see whenever the next election is called. In an attempt to assuage fears that the Liberal government will falter in its negotiations with social media giants over Bill C-18 after its latest cabinet shuffle, the new Heritage Minister Pascal Saint-Ange says she will pick up where Pablo Rodriguez left off and move full steam ahead. According to the Globe and Mail, Saint-Ange said that there will be no compromise with tech giants despite bringing a fresh face to the role. Saint-Ange said, quote, Our government is going to keep standing our ground. Canadians expect tech giants to pay their fair share. In response to Bill C-18, also known as the Online News Act, receiving royal assent, both Meta and Google have threatened to completely block Canadian news from their platforms. The U.S. government has also threatened to embroil itself into the fight with Canada over digital regulation. Last year, U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai pressed the Trudeau government on Bill C-18 and C-11, claiming that both bills would discriminate against American businesses. Saint-Ange formerly held the role of Minister of Sport and is currently being briefed on the status of the Online News Act. So, Cosman, the Online News Act in C-18 was quite in the news a few weeks ago, but I haven't heard that much since. Are there any new developments that our uh, viewers should know about? Well, the latest thing that I saw, Ellie, was a statement from Google uh, on Thursday, which was the same day as the cabinet shuffle, in which they indicated that they too will continue uh, to dig their heels in and resist efforts by the Canadian government to force them into these deals with failing uh, legacy media companies. So I, I'm predicting a stalemate. I, I think uh, we're going to see stalling negotiations. Uh, the government is simply just asking for something that big tech companies are not willing to deliver on. And the way out for them is to completely block news. Uh, and by doing that, they'll be able to comply with this uh, ludicrous legislation. Right. And, you know, we've already seen them test this out where news is blocked. And this is not the first concerning trend we have seen under Justin Trudeau. We've seen uh, people needing QR codes to hop on a plane. And if you didn't do what the government wants you to do, aka take the vaccine, you can't travel. We saw them suspend civil liberties uh, with the Emergencies Act. And now they are interesting legislation, which is resulting in news being blocked while also subsidizing the failing legacy media, which 
by coincidence then runs, you know, these headlines. Trudeau even joked that the legacy media covers up for him because he gave them money. Um, so continuing into this, as you said, it was a stalemate. Who do you think is going to win in the end? Or do you think the government or big tech will win? Or do you think we're going to have to live under a country where we have blocked news on social media? Yeah, that's a good question, and I'm, I'm not sure we'll see an answer anytime soon. There are definitely negotiations going on behind closed doors. The Liberal government has indicated uh, some willingness to uh, adapt certain parts of this legislation, but it will ultimately end up with probably some compromise, some middle ground where big tech will share some revenues, but there will have to be a cap on the amount. Uh, and I think that's probably the most logical conclusion of this. But whether that will be reached anytime soon, I'm not sure. We could see a news block for, uh, for quite some time before a compromise is reached. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Canada has been unable to buck the trend of rising violent crime after reporting an increase in such incidents for the second year in a row. Last week, Statistics Canada reported that violent crime was up 5% last year following a 6% spike in 2021. The data was measured using the Crime Severity Index, which takes into account several factors including the nature of reported crimes, and frequency to measure crime rates across Canada. Crime rates haven't been this high since 2007 and showed no indication of slowing down. Crime was the highest in Manitoba, where the province saw a 14% spike in violent crime. The only provinces and territories to not see a spike in crime last year were New Brunswick, Yukon, and Nunavut. 2022 was particularly troubling when it came to rises in homicide and sexual assaults. Robberies and extortion also rose to 15% and 19% respectively. In total last year, there were 874 homicides, marking an 8% increase since 2021. A lot of people are worried about this, Ellie. We've seen a national conversation develop about violent crime, about attacks uh, from random strangers in big cities. You know, it's become a major talking point for the uh, conservatives, uh, especially with regard to bail reform. But what can government uh, do in this situation? What is the government's role, particularly the federal government's role uh, in addressing crime across Canada? That's a good question, Cosman. I think there's several things that can be done. First of all, we have to address some of these root causes. There are so many drugs that are pouring in, and what that does is that it fuels petty crime because people need money to buy their drugs, but it also fuels violent crime because some of these drugs make people dangerously high, and then the gangs and the drug dealers also benefit. Uh, you have also to deal with bail. I mean, 
there are people on the streets that have hundreds of offenses. The criminal code in Canada does not label offenders as prolific. So you can commit as many, many crimes and they each crime will be considered individually. Somebody who's committed a hundred and plus offenses and continues offending should not be on the street, period. And I do think we need more police. Look, unfortunately, in the last three years, the left has embraced BLM ideology uh, with defunding and abolishing police, and that has really lowered morale. A lot of police officers are scared to actually take action because they're scared they're going to be the next Derek Chauvin or, or the next police officer that is kind of labeled that way. Um, so we have to support we have to support the police and we have to get serious about prosecuting crime. Police aren't even arresting people right now because they know they'll be back on the street the next day. It's important also to call out uh, some of the solutions presented by the liberal government. Uh, for years, Trudeau has claimed that banning certain guns will uh, put an end to violent gun crime. And we're not really seeing that happen, are we? Right, exactly. Well, the, the, the liberals, I think, have an ideological agenda, right? They're not concerned about the illegal guns from the U.S. They're concerned about taking away a hunter's illegally obtained firearm. They're not concerned about the addicts on the streets. They want drug decriminalization, and they have supported BLM. Trudeau famously took a knee for BLM in the middle of a global pandemic. So I don't have a lot of faith. Again, like I said last week, I, I am usually an optimist but le left-wing governments, especially when they're in elite positions of power where they're driven around all day and they have security, I don't think this is a big problem for them. They don't have to take a bus in the evening to come back from work. They just don't. Why does this affect them? It does not. That's it for today. And don't forget to check in at www.tnc.news throughout the day for all the news you need to know. And if you're able, please consider supporting independent media at donate.tnc.news. Thanks for listening and have a great day.